Thank you very much. Good night. God bless you. Thank you. Man. Thank you very much. And all I have to say is you have no idea of how good it feels to be back at the Master's College. Uh, I promised myself, as I was growing up here in Southern California, I was born in Glendale, about 35 miles that way, and then I grew up in the San Inez Valley, just above Santa Barbara. For those of you who aren't from California and you have never been there, go there. Go to Santa Barbara, then go over the hill to Solvang. And that's where I grew up. And I promised myself as a young boy that I would never leave California. On a regular basis, even as a wee little lad, I would wake up in the morning and I would see the sunshine outside and I would realize that the ocean was only a few minutes that way and Mammoth, where we went snow skiing, was only a few miles that way. And I said, I live in the Garden of Eden. I will never leave. And then I had the pleasure of coming to work at Grace Community Church some years ago for John, the first six years of my ministry there as a pastor on staff. And then as Dave said, by the way, thank you, Dave, for the wonderful introduction. I'm glad you could read my handwriting. That was helpful. Uh, I had the chance to come out here to the Santa Clarita Valley or Placerita Canyon, as we so beloved have in our heart for this place. And I would come out of classes that I would teach over here at Grace Baptist and the sun would be out. Thanks, Lord. I'm really thankful for the great weather I've had in my trip here this week uh, to California. Anyway, the sun would be out and, and the weather, you know how the, the, the sun and the atmosphere and the temperature and the color of the trees and the grass just kind of yells at you, don't go back to the office, don't go to your next class, don't go study, go have fun, amen? Amen! And I was often very responsive to this call of nature. And I would say to myself, I am never going to leave Southern California. Some years ago, one of the students that I had a privilege of being a part of his life and her life, Paul Martin, who's here tonight, and Sue Heaney, as we knew her then, they uh, were going to get married, and she lived in this obscure little place called Bremen, I'm tangled, Bremen, Indiana. Bremen, Indiana. Never heard of it before in my life. They said, will you come back and be a part of our... Our, our service, our, our wedding, I was honored by that. I said, sure. They said, we'd like your wife to come. I said, fantastic. We landed at this, this little airport somewhere in this desolate tundra of the Midwest. It was November. We were in a rented car, and we had to make about a 30-mile journey somewhere to get to this no place called Bremen, Indiana. It was in the evening about 6 o'clock. It was pitch black. It was dark already. The sun had long since said goodnight. The snow was falling out of the sky and we, we were lost and we drove by this high school and the lights on the football field were on and out in the middle of all the snow, guys were playing football. And it just, I said, Heidi, they're playing football in the snow. This is inconceivable. <laughs> this is incomprehensible. This is impossible. This can't be true. We drove a little further and the snow continued to mount and I remember distinctly looking over at Heidi and saying, aren't you glad we don't live in Indiana? <laughs> and she looked at me and said, yep. And then I said to her, we will never live 
in Indiana. After some time, uh, the ministry here at the Master's College and just feeling the pull of God upon my heart to, to become a senior pastor and spend the principal part of my life uh, preaching the Word of God and discipling men in the context of a local church, when that urge became just overwhelming, I went and had a conversation with Dr. MacArthur. And uh, I said, John, I think it's time for me to move on. I, I really want to be a pastor. I want to just do what you do. I just want to fulfill my calling from God. And uh, he said, okay, yeah, okay, that sounds fine. And so we started putting word out all over the country. The word went to Santa Barbara. <laughs> the word went to San Diego. The word went all over California. But un unbelievably, the word also went to a little, a little bigger town than Bremen, not by much. Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, having looked at some of the other opportunities, we flew back to Fort Wayne, Indiana. It was again winter time. It was again snowing. We were again stuck in a little rental car trying to find our way to this church. And this time we were stopped at a stoplight. And the snow was so heavy and so dense that they had the snow mover machines out on the streets. And we're sitting in this little rental car at a stop sign, and along comes in the passing lane this huge, uh, you know, tractor thing on the front of this truck that's pushing snow, and it literally just rocks our car as it drives by us and sprays us with its snow. And I said, Heidi, I don't think this is God's will for our life. I don't think we'll ever live in Indiana. Well, it just became apparent that by virtue of the ministry that existed in this marvelous church called Blackhawk Baptist Church, a church of about 2,000 people, just doing a phenomenal work in a city of about 300,000 people that seemed so suited to us, and they were so warm and so receptive that we actually did accept the call. And for the last 18 months, we have been living in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like God? You tell him, I am never going to do this. And he just sits up there and says, oh yeah? You want to bet? He has a way, doesn't he? So recently my big statement is, I will never be a millionaire. I, I, I refuse. God, I will never, ever be independently wealthy. Millions of dollars. Forget it. Get it out of your mind. Not happening to me. I love doing that, I tell you. You know what? You are in the absolute best part of your life. You're in college. You are out of high school. You are out of that direct parental oppression. Yo! Nobody is holding your hand or actually the leash that they have around your neck. You are now on your own. You're free. And you can choose your own majors, and you can choose how you're going to spend your day. And, and you, you are living the four, for some of you the five, for some of you the six, best years of your life. And uh, yeah, right here. Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. There's nothing like college. And those of us tonight who are here who have been through college, we look back on that and go, man, those were the, those were the days. Those were the fun days. And I know you're... I know you're under pressure. I know you have studies. I know there are relational pressures. I know that it's not totally bliss 
But it is, without question, one of the very best times of your life. And what I want to talk to you about tonight are five things. I want to give you five principles that are characteristics of an individual that I believe will maximize your involvement here at the Master's College. Your personal existence at this college will be maximized by these five principles. I also believe, don't miss this, I also believe that if you will follow these five principles, you will make the Master's College unquestionably the best college in all the world. And I'm not just saying that. I really believe that happens. And, and then thirdly, I believe that if you will incorporate these five principles into your life, that when you graduate and you go to take up your place in the rank and file of the churches of America, and my assignment tonight is to talk to you about commitment to the local church, commitment to the body of Christ, and I'm thrilled to do that. I believe that if you'll take these five principles and, and build them into your life and make them habits of who you are, you will be the greatest blessing to any church that you go to. Your pastor will look at you and he will say, may your tribe increase. You make my life better. You make my life wonderful. Thank you for being a part of my fellowship. And I believe that you will change your church. I believe that you will be a change agent in the church to which God calls you. Let me share these five with you tonight. And really, these are just exciting things that, that have changed my life and that really we have built the Master's College on in the last six or seven years. The first one, come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let's go and look at verses 23, 24, and 25. If, there, if therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are mad. In other words, you know the confusion that was existing at the church of Corinth, the worship time, that, that one time when the body of Christ collected itself out of the streets, out of the highways, out of the byways. They left their homes and they got together as a body of Christ. There was confusion there and things were not as they should have been. But then he describes how it ought to be, verses 24 and 25. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Characteristic number one, set it in your heart to be a true worshiper of God. I want to talk to you about that for just a minute. What does that mean? Set it in your heart to worship God from the depth of your soul. One of the things that we have always sought to achieve at the Master's College has been a chapel ministry that when you all came out of your dorm rooms and off of your off-campus housing, even though I know that's hard sometimes because there are studies to be attended to and there, the sun is calling you to go to the beach, understandably. But the commitment of, of this school has always been to provide a place where you, above everything else, can encounter God in chapel where you can worship Him, where you can come and say, this is more than a requirement that I sign in on the back. 
This is more than listening to somebody speak. This is more than singing some songs, which just by the way, this whole thing, Steve Miracle and you guys in that group are just wonderful. You have taken that to a whole new level and I congratulate you for that. But you're saying, I'm going to come in here and I'm going to get beyond the externals of Christianity. I'm going to get beyond the fact that my body is in a particular room and I am going to pursue God with all my heart in this collective assembly for the next hour and 15 minutes. You are in that time looking to praise Him. You are in that time looking to exalt His name. You are in that time looking to learn from the Word of God things about Him, His character, His nature, His attributes, things that He would have for you to do in your life. You are here with, with a broken and contrite spirit seeking the very face of God. That will revolutionize this college and it will revolutionize any church you ever go to. What churches end up being, and what sometimes a chapel ends up being, is the people coming through the door become consumers. And they say, I dare you to interest me today. I dare you to provoke my thought. I, I, will, I will be here, especially in a church setting, I will be here as long as I get something out of it for me. And my friends, that's important, and I agree with what our speaker, Jerry Mitchell, said this morning, that if you're being bored in your church, it's your preacher's responsibility. If doctrine becomes boring, that's not the doctrine's fault, that's the communicator's fault. But at the same time, I want to add the emphasis that you do not come to this chapel and you do not come to your assembly in your local church to do anything other than to praise and worship and exalt and extol the very person of God. And that's what was happening here. Look at it again, just to remind you. When this unbeliever, verse 24, comes into the place, verse 25, and the secrets of his heart are disclosed because the power of the Spirit of God is convicting him through the music and through the preaching and through the people that he encounters in that setting. Then he will fall on his face and worship God. That's it. That's church. That's chapel. And you may not feel free to do that physically and openly, but certainly in your heart. Come into this place and come into your local churches saying, I am going to glorify God. And there's going to be something very personal, though it's a very public place, going on in my heart and my mind with the God who loves me, the God who saved me, and the God who said He would meet me here. Amen? Point two. Take your Bible now and go to Galatians chapter 6. And this is just a unbelievably important principle about being an effective individual in your school and in your church. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brethren, Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Principle number two. Be involved in genuine relationships. Be involved in honest, transparent, genuine relationships where people in your life can know enough about you 
that they, they can discern when you are stepping off the path of righteousness and you are being caught and allured by the things of the world. And they are willing to restore you and to bear your burden. The word restore there is a Greek word that means to mend a neck or to mend a broken bone. And the picture of it in the Bible is of a couple of fishermen sitting in their boat and they've been fishing out there and the net has been caught on something, uh, maybe a, a tree limb underneath the water or they had too much junk and it ripped the net or the, the net just got worn. And this word restore pictures these fishermen in their boat and they are taking out needle and thread or whatever they use to mend that net. In other words, to return it back to a place of usefulness. You and I are going to find the net of our life torn by our own sin, torn by our own selfishness, torn by our own subtle, quiet demand that life be everything that, it, that I want it to be. And we desperately need people in our lives who know us enough to restore us, to mend the net of our life and put us back into a place of usefulness. When I moved to Indiana, I left a group of people that were that way to me. And they loved me. And they knew me. And they knew what was going on inside of me. I, I, I didn't really even have to tell them. And one of the first objectives that I had in Fort Wayne, Indiana, was to find and cultivate and pray that God would give me another group of people like that. And it happened in a most unusual way. It was probably 12 months in my stay. Those kind of people don't just happen, you know. That's kind of a thing that God does in your life. And I was working on the master bathroom in my house. We bought this house and it needed some renovation, so I got busy renovating it. And uh, I'm not really handy. And I got this skill saw out and I'm ripping a, a piece of plywood and I really want to make sure I get it exact. So I kind of lean over the edge and I, I watch the blade cut on the little line that I've marked, which is like the major bozo thing to do in your life. And, and the, the blade catches and throws some uh, splinters and one of them goes into my eye. I didn't have any safety goggles on. So I go to the doctor. I never met this guy. His name is Brandon, Brandon Berger. You know, what a name. So I meet him. He's very gracious. He puts me on the table, puts that stuff in my eye, puts the light in my eye, figures it out, takes out what's there, puts a patch over it for two days, and I go home. His secretary happens to be a member in my church. I'm feeling real swift at that point. Uh, you know, she has to listen to the description of how I did this. But I liked him. There was something about him. Well, I get to work on my house on Mondays because that's my day off. The next Monday, I'm working again. The patch is off. I'm thinking, well, I better finish ripping that board. So I take the same board and the same saw and peek over the edge again. And sure enough, I got some splinters in my eye. Funny thing, isn't it? Same eye. I go to the same clinic with the same nurse to see the same doctor and say the same story. And they're looking at me like, you are in trouble, pal. You do need help. So he lays me back again, puts the same juice in my eye, puts that light back there, pulls those splinters out, puts a patch, and then he hands me a pair of safety goggles. <laughs> Said, uh, Russ, while we were working on you, I sent the secretary down to the hardware store. These are called 
safety goggles. Feel free to wear these whenever you have a skill saw in your hand. <laughs> Good night. While we're in there, though, after you put the patch on my eye for the second time, he said, uh, he said, you know, I've been working with somebody. As a matter of fact, in my church, he didn't go to my church. He's talking about his church. An associate pastor on our staff had committed adultery. And in the process of this adulterous affair, he impregnated her. And the pastor in that affair is married. And the woman he was having the affair with is married. And he came to me, this pastor did about 12 months ago, and told me his problem and said, I need your help. I, I, I don't know what to do. And of course, this pastor was coming only because he knew he was going to get caught. She was going to start the show. And the husband, apparently there were things going on in their relationship which left no doubt that it was not the product of their marriage. He said, I just spent the last 12 months trying to mend this guy's life. And we've reached an impasse with our church. And we need some spiritual leadership. Would you be a part of our lives? It was as if God was writing on the wall. Will I be a part of your... You mean you're the kind of person? A, a medical doctor, a physician that will take out the last 12 months of your life. By the way, the wife of this pastor was so overwhelmed with grief and anger and pain that she wouldn't even live in the house that they were living in. And so he, the doctor, and his wife opened their home to this woman and she had lived with them for the last 12 months. They had lost all their friends because they had judged them for caring for this associate pastor, contrary to the direction of their church. They had been ostracized by three of families that they had known and loved for the last 15 years. Their very best friends. I said, well... You want me to be a part of that? Count me in. And so I grab my youth pastor, Tim Tedder, and the four of us meet every single Thursday from 12 to 2. And you know what we talk about? What's really going on in our lives. It's important that we ask each other, are we in the Word? And we do. It's important that we ask each other, are we in prayer? And we do. But we also ask each other questions like, have you been involved in anything connected to immorality in the last seven days? Have you viewed anything that is pornographic in nature? Have you talked to any other person of the opposite sex in a way that is inviting to a level of intimacy that you have no business having? Or are you silently courting the beginning steps of an adulterous affair? Are you involved in any kind of financial dealing with your taxes or your church money or with him as a doctor, with your billing of patience that in any way compromises your absolute commitment to Christ? You know what? In the last 12 months, I've had to say yes to some of those questions. I'm not in that group because they need me. I'm in that group because I need them. 
we got pastors falling left and right in this country. And everyone that I know about falls because there is no personal accountability in his life. There are no relationships there that are close enough. And asking the kinds of questions that reveal the kinds of issues that eventually blow up in some public scandal and wound an entire church and a community and a city. And those are guys in the ministry, much less doctors and lawyers and other people. I want to ask you a question. Are there people in your life today, at this college, that you're cultivating a relationship with that could restore you, that could bear your burden, that you love enough and trust enough to say, this is what's really going on in my life. And even though it embarrasses me beyond my wildest dreams, I believe you love me enough, I'll tell you, and I'll trust you with the information. Some of you have roommates who are behind the scenes involved in immorality, whether it be sexual immorality or whether it be involving alcohol or drugs. When, when I was here for the six years at the Master's College, we never had a year. We never had a year where we didn't have students getting pregnant outside of wedlock where we didn't have students involved in, in sexual things, immorality. Never had a year where we didn't have people involved in some kind of alcohol or drug abuse. But you know what? Every year we tried to say to the student body, the best way to resolve that problem is not to run to Betty Price or to Dave Maddox or to your R.D., the very best way to resolve that problem is with you as an adult, as an individual, as a collegiate, as someone who this country would entrust to go to another place called Iraq and fight for our freedom and handle that level of responsibility. You people are the ones to solve that problem. You are the ones, according to the Word of God, who both in your college and later in your church have primary responsibility to restore that fallen brother. I don't know. Sometimes we confuse our Christianity with, with this notion, I have a very personal relationship with Christ. And that's true. You do and I do too. It's very personal. But it is not private. Part of being a part of the body of Christ means that my relationship with Christ, while it's personal and He knows me intimately, He knows everything about me. At the same time, because I am connected by the Spirit of God and baptized into the very body of Christ, there's nothing private about my relationship with Christ. I hope and I trust that you're seeking those kinds of relationships and that kind of accountability. Because as one who has lived in this world and has tried to dedicate myself to Christ, I'll just be honest with you, I need that desperately. You take the accountability out of my life and I'm a time bomb waiting to blow up. Principle number three, Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 8 for a minute. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, 
Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is of any excellence and of anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. You know what the Master's College needs? And you know what Blackhawk Baptist Church needs? And you know what the churches in America need? They need people who are committed to having a positive attitude. I know that doesn't sound very spiritual and it probably doesn't sound very profound. But I mean to tell you that what it takes are people who are willing to look at the bright side of life. People who are willing to look at what is right instead of always focusing on what is wrong. We used to have a phrase that we inaugurated the very first year that I was here. And it was asked at a question. I would say, what do you love about the Master's College? And people would say everything. And they would say everything. And they would say it with enthusiasm. And they would say it from the bottom of their heart. At that time, up in Hotchkiss, we had, we had fiberglass clogging the drains. People couldn't take showers. We put in this new finagled floor that was supposed to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. Right, Dr. Stead? Right, Mark Tatlock? And it didn't work at all. It was a total sham. These people took us for money, good money we paid them. And their product kept clogging all of our drains and students couldn't take showers. They had to come down these steps and shower in the gymnasium. Think of it every morning. It was horrible. But we had... Bra-